Hello and welcome back to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and most importantly discuss every horror movie on Netflix. As always, I'm Steve and I'm here with my faithful co-hosts, Patrick. Hello. And Chris. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, doing great. So we're here today to discuss uh, Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery 2, 1992 film. But before we get into it, we've got some kind of historic news to reflect on, boys. We just did our first convention, Motor City Nightmares, yes. in Novi, Michigan. And what a blast, what a resounding success. I'm still kind of coming down from it. How Dude, you guys feeling? I was I was stunned by how sad I was to leave there. Like I almost cried on the way home. I didn't want to leave. I wanted it to be an, another day longer. It was just so much fun being around shit I like and people who like shit I like and hanging out with you guys all weekend and partying like motherfuckers both Friday and Saturday nights and meeting so many new friends. It was just it was a great time. I honestly can't wait to do another one. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, am also experiencing the sort of uh, emotional come down, having a return to your normal life, which isn't half as magical, trying to hold on to whatever pieces of the experience I can and incorporate them into my day to day life and failing. Um, <laughs> but it was a good weekend. It was good to see everybody. Um, hopefully we got some new listeners. So if you were at Moments mm-hmm. Nightmares and you're listening to the show for the first or second or third time, we're glad to have you. Thanks for checking us out. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we all had some uh, really fun, uh, I think, discoveries of different things, whether they be artists or, um, I mean, Patrick and I saw the best rock band uh, um, in the country. I <laughs> want to talk about the cult of Space Skull. One yes. of the, I'm going to say, and I need I need at some point to actually draw up my list of my favorite shows I've ever been to, but I feel confident saying that seeing the cult of space skull at the motor city nightmares after party is on my list of the top 50 shows i've ever been to maybe top 25 <laughs> that does not sound like much of an endorsement i've seen then a again, lot I know of you've fucking been to a lot shows, of shows. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, i've seen a lot of fucking shows you're one of my 50 best friends so that works out <laughs> i i see 50 not even top eight damn <laughs> i see 50 shows in a year in a given year so this is not you know this this is this is real this is the real shit we saw it is the real shit. i mean it was like part heavy metal band part punk band and part just like satanic like pro wrestling kayfabe shit like they were lopping heads off they were killing zombie possums we were hunting ghosts chris led a fucking cult procession while he was holding up the severed head of the drummer it was amazing. The drummer was still killing the kit even after they sawed his head off. Incredible. It's great. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like a 80% theater performance, 20% music performance. Uh, but do not miss them if they uh, are in your area or more likely if you're in Michigan and you happen to see them playing locally. Um, yeah, I feel, like, I feel like they're a relatively new arrival on the scene here because I had never heard of them before. And they were they, they live 
they're they're from very close to where the convention was but holy shit they were amazing i think the entire crowd was also very much in their corner and i would love to see them go on to play some more cons and maybe get a national following because they were incredible i was i was slipping around in fake blood dancing and just fucking moshing it up at the end i think there's still blood on my blood on my chucks yeah, so if you're listening to this nationally and you're planning a trip to Michigan, maybe to see some of our beautiful attractions like the world-famous Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore, maybe <laughs> Mackinac Island, maybe many of the other things that Pure Michigan has to offer, plan your trip around the next Cult of Space Skull show, mm-hmm. uh, and you will not be disappointed. I mean, fantastic. I, I think Chris and I are going to see them again this weekend, right? Uh, we very well might be, yeah. yeah I mean, I yeah. am. I don't know if Chris is. But. I, I'm, I'm planning on it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great. And I, you know, I'd love to see them, you know, get a following and become a national act as long as they don't lose their uh, their direction. I would love to see what they could do with like a you know $20,000 budget. <laughs> we, we were astonished. I mean, we were prepared for like, you know, the decent, fun band, whatever, at the after party. And me and Chris just kept looking at each other with like our eyes bugging out of our fucking heads at how batshit this performance was so yeah it's uh you know at the end of the year we do our favorite horror discovery of the year i will mm. be shocked if this is not mine and patrick's favorite horror discovery of the year oh yeah for sure calling it now for sure steven how was your con experience now that we've talked about space skull for 15 minutes for the third time yeah i've had a i've had a i had a great experience but the first wonderful. time to our listeners sure sure <laughs> um i'm glad you guys had a great time i'll be catching them soon they've got a few shows coming up i'm sure i can make it to one and i i hope to have a blast but it was just you know it's always great to go to these i love cons even if they're anime cons which i've gone to before i like being around you know nerdy outsiders they tend to be uh it tends to be a very kind of like sweet inclusive sort of space even with something like horror, you know, a lot of people I work with assume that I must be some kind of maniac because I love horror movies and I do this podcast. Turns out, like, some of the nicest people I've ever met have made some of the most, like, fucked up shit I've ever experienced. And, uh, yeah, just had a great time vibing. Chris made a wonderful game for our booth and I felt like a like a game show host, you know, introducing people to the show, watching them try and play through this thing matching up uh chris's hilarious descriptions of movies we've reviewed with their titles Uh, you know we brought in some prizes on the second day including chris's (laughs) collection of star wars insider magazines (laughs) uh, got rid of them all i'm so happy yeah and uh a real treat for me was meeting uh a representative for you know longtime listeners will know i love the the restoration company vinegar syndrome and their rep jenny uh we we had a a great time getting to know each other over the course of the convention and uh, hopefully there'll be some more news coming out of that soon um i i might be reviewing some more vinegar syndrome movies on the show hopefully fingers crossed So, can't wait for our next con, uh, but for now, let's get to the matter at hand, Pet Cemetery 2, the sequel no one asked for. You guys, you guys have not seen. You, we've seen. We saw the remake together, right? But you guys have not seen Mary Lambert's original Pet Cemetery adaptation with a screenplay by Stephen King. Correct. She directed the original. Yes. I felt like I looked this up, and she didn't. 
Well, no, she did. She did. She did. Oh, okay. And it's odd because there, at this point, you know, there's 60, 70 Stephen King adaptations. I can only think of two that were directed by a woman, and they happen to be these two films. Um, so they all, I've, I've long been kind of intrigued by this one in particular because it was a blind spot for me. Uh, yeah, I had not. I am a fan of Pet Cemetery, the franchise. I, I really like the book, um, and. Well, I guess that's about it, huh? Um, we we saw the movie remake, and it was you know fine, I guess. Um, and then we saw I, I I've never seen the the first movie, so I I was very interested to see things I recognized from the book and everything interpreted in this movie, and to kind of have the suggestion of what the first Pet Cemetery movie was like, even though I haven't seen it, um, and like what the depiction of the uh, titular pet cemetery was um it's pretty much movie. exactly the same um i i've not read the book i've wanted to it's it's um you know stephen king uh and and his wife tabitha who's his first reader he didn't want to put this thing out for years because they both thought it was just too dark and too nasty and too hopeless um and i definitely think the pet cemetery remake leans further into the the nastiness and the hopelessness more so than lambert's First film does. That said, the first Pet Cemetery movie, I have a couple of strong memories from seeing it as a kid. Um, uh, there's there's some pretty fucked up images in it, but it mostly plays like a uh, like a higher level made for TV movie. It's not great. You're not missing a whole lot, but you know I'd recommend throwing it on while you're doing laundry or something. Mm-hmm. I so actually thought it was a made for TV movie. I only recently realized it was a theatrical release or the, the theatrical release at all. Yeah, so, you know, for the uninitiated, we'll just get this out of the way. I don't know what you're doing here unless you just like listening to our voices. But if you know nothing about Pet Cemetery, there's a Pet Cemetery behind it, an Indian burial ground. Whatever you bury there comes back to life, but it's not quite the same as you remember it. Yep, and sometimes dead is better. Sometimes dead is better. At the end of this movie, you're going to get a, a zombie screaming that at you. <laughs> Just and to further hammer the point home. <laughs> and it's it's really, I mean, the, the dead is better thing. Um, it's really a book about, a book and I guess a movie about grief. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate the themes in it. And I appreciate, you know, you know that burying people in the cemetery is a bad fucking idea. But time after time, characters just can't resist because the pain of being without somebody convinces them to take the most sketchy gamble they can possibly make and say, well, this time they'll come out okay, right? They never do. They never do, and that's going to be a discussion point later on, I think. We're going to get a little personal with this, I'm hoping, but I'll, I'll set up Pet Cemetery 2. So uh, this movie stars uh, kind of an amazing cast, Edward Furlong, uh, yeah. mopey little Eddie Furlong, 13, I think, when this movie was made, uh, Anthony Edwards and Clancy Brown. I think those are our top three bills there. And so we open on a very Brian De Palma body double type sequence where we see kind of a gothic horror film being made. And then we hear a director yell, cut. We realize we're just watching the production of a film. Uh, Really bad idea to be when the first line of dialogue in your movie is cut. I've always found it to be hilarious. Like, I think... um, what is it? A new nightmare does the same thing. Yeah, yeah I thought new nightmare. I, I, very uh, disappointing to start your movie with a with a with a scene that 
looks like it's a better movie than the movie that you're actually going to watch. Exactly. So <laughs> so Eddie Furlong is visiting his mom, who's kind of like a famous B, C-list celebrity from what I'm gathering on what little we're given. She's filming this kind of horror trash. There's an electrical incident, and she is hilariously electrocuted to death. I was The way this was shot, her lack of... Uh, the lack of horror in her expression and her voice as she's being as this draws out for a couple of minutes is is really kind of funny. But oh, it's, it's uh, like it the hilarious. longest execution I've ever uh, longest electrocution I've ever seen on screen. I'm not sure what was longer: the shot of the car pulling out of the convenience store in Grandmother's Farm, or the <laughs> death of this woman as she holds on with a death grip on this iron grate that's being electrified. It went on forever. Well, and Eddie, I'm just going to call him Eddie like we're friends. His, he's like, his horror and terror at the situation is so believable. He's like, it's like the one time in the movie where he really comes alive and his mom is just like a fucking puppet, uh, barely even emoting as she's dying. I don't know what it feels like to die by electrocution. Maybe you don't have a lot of control over your, you know, expressions or your voice, but it's, it struck me as kind of incongruous. So. He and his dad, uh, played by Anthony Edwards, who's a veterinarian, they take the body back home to Maine to be buried. They start off in L.A. And uh, they, they kind of try and start their life over again. They, the sum, their summer house becomes their home. They hire a live-in maid for some reason, which is really weird because they're <laughs> yeah. just two healthy people in a house by that is not that large by themselves. But apparently they need a, a sexy young woman to be there. It seems twenty four seven. I mean, apparently he's like a fuck fucking veterinarian to the stars. Like this guy is making the big bucks. Yeah, well, he's not only he, he's a traveling veterinarian too, which I found to be. I don't know. Is, that, that that probably is a thing, but he's got his own kind of you know special van that he has that he drives around. Uh, he starts over, uh, buys a derelict vet's office that is just in in poor repair in need of a lot of work. Edward Furlong is tasked with uh, cleaning it up so that he can have one of the kittens that they find in, in the vents of the vet's office. You know, things are pretty quaint for a while in this movie, I think. Um, we don't really get a, a lot of horror until until quite a bit later. We just kind of see, you know, father and son adjusting to this new town. Uh, Edward Furlong starts going to school. He brings his kitten to class in what I found to be a pretty hilarious and unnecessary moment. We meet because it's a, you know, Stephen King had nothing to do with this, but it feels pretty Stephen King because we have cartoonish bullies, uh, the leader of which... The least intimidating character in the film, I think, um, takes the kitten. They go off on a chase to the pet cemetery. We think the kitten has been killed by the bully. It turns out he's alive. And that is our gateway for our young protagonist to learn about the myth of this Native American burial ground that we were introduced to in the book in the first film. I just want to say really quickly, uh, because this episode just came out, but, you know, we're going to be talking about the, the Indian burial ground element of this movie quite a bit. And the Faculty of Horror podcast, which I know at least Stephen and I are friends of, uh, mm -hmm. just released uh, last week, I think, a review of Amityville Horror and Poltergeist. And they dive deep into the tropes around the Indian burial ground uh, theme in, in horror movies and, and sort of... Uh, you know, the, the problematic uh, uh, associations with them. But that's not what we'll be doing on this show. But if you're interested in that sort of topic and uh, 
check them out. Well, that's I really want to listen to that up, Chris. Thanks for mentioning that. And uh, you know, I don't have a lot to back this up, but I I heard um, heard on a podcast recently that mentioned the first film that King actually based the burial ground and everything like on an actual tribe. And there's like kind of a political nature, I think to the way that he discusses it in the book. And it sounds like it might be kind of woke in a way that I would not expect from King who is, he doesn't do well with uh, other cultures and people who are not white generally. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I don't remember it being woke in the book, but I, my memory could be wrong. Yeah, anyway, so how else to even discuss this movie? Because, I mean, spoiler alert, this is a just completely misguided effort from top to bottom. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to get too deep into the plot, but we've at least got to set up all the characters. So um, Edward Furlong makes a best friend in this who has an adorable dog, a Siberian husky, I think, named Zowie. And as soon as, as soon as we see an animal in this movie, you just assume it's going to get buried and come back as a zombie. Um, that tracks. Yeah. And, and uh, there's just, you know, we just spend a lot of time just kind of meeting all the people in town who end up becoming parts of plots or subplots. So you got um, uh, uh, Eddie and his, his dad, of course, and their housekeeper. You have the bullies and, and the one friend that Eddie makes at school. The, the his one friend has a mom and a stepdad who happens to be the town sheriff named Gus, uh, who's kind of introduced early on. Um, he's he's in the forty percent of police officers who are domestic abusers. He <laughs> is uh, uh, he is the first thing you, you see him do is like tell Anthony Edwards about how he used to date the dead wife. Right. In hometown. Oh, I love that scene is so so this is Clancy Brown who his performance in this is you know, like I love amazing. him worthy. Amazing. I love him. I think he's absolutely awful in this, but I don't blame him. I blame the material. I think he's doing the best he can. Uh, I don't know. He could have done a better main accent. That was pretty pretty distracting to me at times, but that scene is fucking hilarious cuz he shows up at the funeral and he's like, "Yeah, your mom and I used to go together." homecoming prom the whole nine yards it's like why are you just telling this kid i could have been your dad what the fuck okay i was very confused by this character at a sexual level because (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was pretty clear do say more because i love clancy brown i think he's a very talented character actor and voice actor but i'm used to him being kind of a dumpy like dour looking older guy i was not prepared for like fit sexy nice hair young clancy brown honestly looking super hot but also playing this absolutely awful character there were just layers upon layers of confusion to this for me you know i've heard that from several people who have seen this movie and i don't get it to me, he looks kind of yellowy and pasty. He's got kind of a, a little bit of a gut. Like, oh, he he's looks got fit the, as fuck. I mean, not, I maybe know. not fit as fuck. I would not say he Maybe he fitter gut, than you though. would expect him to be. Patrick um, just loves a man in uniform. <laughs> <laughs> a man in uniform who also, I mean, this is just such a weird touch in this movie that I, I would love to, like, listen to the commentary or something and find out how this came to be. But he also breeds rabbits and seems to get off on it. 
there's like a shot of like we find this out by like we we there's a close-up shot of rabbits fucking and then a cut to him just staring at them gleefully before gus shows up and he's got this whole side hustle with this giant rabbit hutch that's electrified in his backyard <laughs> you know he's a he's a multi-hyphenate steven you gotta have a side hustle to make your way in this economy does let me ask you know i don't know about 1992 dollars i'm not sure if you guys do either is 10 bucks a good price for a rabbit oh my god i have no idea is that how much they cost in the movie yeah he's got this like homemade wooden sign in front of his his dilapidated house i mean Um, it sounds like a steal honestly um i i think that's probably right especially in like 1992 i wouldn't be surprised i don't know and those those poor rabbits though those those rabbits undergo a lot of shit Oh, yeah, they do. We'll save that for the spoiler room. But, you know, again, uh, when you see an animal in a Pet cemetery movie, you expect it's going to die in a horrific way and come back even more horrifically um, to mixed results in this film, of course. So Gus's stepson just has a... uh, He's got a rough lot in life because his douchebag cop dad treats him horribly, takes food off his plate calls him fat repeatedly throughout the film. He's trying to fuck his mom right in front of him. Oh, I mean, like, it's honestly at dinner. <laughs> it's honestly hilarious. Like, I mean, yes. Yeah, it's so over the top. I mean, it's yes, abuse and I guess it's upsetting on one level, but it's basically just <laughs> like really over the top writing to a degree that is pretty funny just the way they drive home what a shithead this guy is particularly to the kid. I think where things really kind of kind of take off is when Clancy Brown and the mom are trying to have aggressive drunken sex like apparently they usually do every night and the dog is fucking around with the rabbits you know the, we hear the electrical pops whatever and and he's just had it he goes downstairs with the gun he says he's warned Drew enough about the dog manages to to kill it in one shot without any visibility, oh, which I found to be very Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is like some sharpshooter shit. Like, Chris Kyle has fucking nothing on Clancy Brown in Pet Cemetery 2. Yeah, pretty um, unceremoniously brutal scene. Then the movie gets even more 90s than it's been already when we get this kind of weepy ballad as Drew is sitting against a tree (laughs) holding the dog. And I got to say that that is some great dog acting. I believe that dog was dying in his arms. It was amazing. You don't see that that often. I mean, because the dog gets murked in like the kind of the upper leg, like the thigh area, Mm -hmm. sort of. And it's it's pretty decent, like makeup on the dog and you get a lot of shots, not just like a single shot where they got a decent take where the dog was like, I guess giving a decent performance. I mean, they probably just like doped the dog up on fucking Benadryl or something, but I mean, the dog does seem to be fading away. And if you have any doubt, even after seeing this convincing canine performance as to whether the dog is fading away, just consult the musical cue, which if I remember correctly, (laughs) the lyric, like the refrain that's repeated multiple times is I'm I'm fading away. Fading away. Yep, yeah. over and over and over again with guitar with so much chorus on it and drum hits you can land a plane on. It's amazing. The it is music amazing. was just the music throughout this movie was just phenomenal. Incredible. <laughs> In oh, all the worst ways. Not okay, so not only do you get, you know, bullshit 
butt rock like better than Ezra. But this soundtrack has L7, Jesus and Mary Chain. The Jesus and Mary Chain cue is also hilarious and on the nose in a really funny way. But I think that's probably spoiler room material. Yeah, this took me back to uh, Fear Street Part 1, 1994, quite a bit with the soundtrack. Like, obviously, no big massive hits in this but they the music is used in a in a similar way like a hey it's the 90s and also this song is speaking to exactly what's happening on the screen right now and i i don't know if you if this was a a band that you know but there was something i can only describe as knockoff guns and roses that plays when eddie furlong is like in a bike chase with the bullies yeah i was like i feel like they're just trying to copy terminator 2 here where eddie furlong just bikes around listening to guns and roses for 15 minutes well the thing about eddie furlong is he only does movies that have dirt bikes in them (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was that was his niche in the 90s it's just what you get when you're a child actor in the 90s (laughs) um yeah, so, of course, what do they do? This dog is so beloved by everyone that we've encountered except for Clancy Brown, they take it to the pet cemetery. Eddie Furlong just agrees wholesale without any question. Watching them, <laughs> watching Drew carry this obviously <laughs> stuffed dog through the the rough terrain, you know, into the backwoods was so funny to me. The moment where it's clear that it has no weight to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're supposed to think he's kind of a, you know, he's kind of a big kid. Maybe it's like nothing to him to pick this up. It still doesn't work on that level. But the moment we see the dog puppet hit the earth... <laughs> At the pet cemetery, I screamed out loud because you can just tell it's a stuffed animal just flopped down on the dirt. Um, this movie is shoddy in so many ways that, it, I mean, just put some rocks in that thing or something. Give it a little weight. Come on. How much effort would it take? And you, what do you know? The dog comes back. He looks malevolent as fuck and nobody seems to notice except for the two kids. And people who know they're watching a pet cemetery movie, I'm not sure if the kids even notice that the dog's malevolent. Um, and and I mean, th- that's kind of a recurring theme where characters in this movie don't really notice that people are obviously fucked up and evil. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, totally. But I mean, Drew notices because <laughs> this gave me a huge laugh too when Anthony Edwards shows up in his mobile vet van. To, to take a look at the dog, you know, Drew, he looks guilty the moment the dog comes in the house and you see its red eyes and he looks a little bit afraid. And he, he Anthony Edwards says, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at him. And Drew says, can you keep him at your place until he gets better? <laughs> like he's clearly pawning the demon dog off on him because he doesn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. I well, thought that was hilarious. They don't like have, you know, it's a little spooky when your dog comes back to life. They knew what, what happened to it. I was impressed with whatever they did to make it look this spooky. I don't know if it... It must have been a lighting thing, but its eyes are red a lot of the time. Yeah. And it is... It was, to me, a very effective, disconcerting effect. The dog does some good acting. I mean, it was an effectively creepy-looking, you know, demon dog, especially in a pre... Well, not pre-CGI age, but there was not any CGI in this movie, I don't think. 
Well, that's a, it's a great kind of lighting or optical effect. I don't know how they did it with the red eyes, but uh, Lambert did the same thing in the first movie with Church the Cat. There's an mm. you know iconic shot of the cat looking menacing with these kind of abnormally eerily yellow eyes. And it's the same sort of thing where it's like they must be shining some kind of special light on the creature that doesn't bleed over onto the fur, but just illuminates the eyes in some way. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it was like rotoscoped on afterward or anything. It's no. really haunting stuff. Yeah, it almost made me go like, "Can you put contacts on a dog?" I don't. I don't think that's it. I think it's a lighting thing, but whatever it is, it works well. Yeah, and I'm kind of. I haven't seen the first Pet Cemetery movie, but this dog. I don't know. It seems like a dog should be scarier than a cat when it comes back from the dead, but I'm not sure if it was. I think maybe the 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 demeanor of a dog lends itself less to like what was great about church where it's like you could just kind of feel a, a, a subtle evil inside the cat at least in the book and, and in the first movie or in the in the remake of the first movie um you have any thoughts on that dogs versus cats in the pet cemetery oh i have lots of thoughts about this i've been thinking about this today so the thing about Church the Cat is I ha- I didn't find Church scary in either the first movie or the remake because at the end of the day, zombie or not, he's still just a cat being a cat. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, he's, a, he's, he's adorable and he may be evil and hate and trying to kill you, but that's every cat. Right, but with the dog, I agree with you that he didn't feel... Uh, Zowie, zombie Zowie didn't feel uh, like all that much more menacing to me as a zombie, but a dog is like, you know, a dog this big is just naturally a, a more, should be a more physically imposing threat. If nothing else, then I was never really scared of the dog. I still kind of thought he was cute. And I was rooting for the dog because we want Zowie to have his revenge yes. and, and kill Gus for, for killing Zowie. Um well, and it, I mean, we'll, we might as well just get to it, right? So I mean, he, that, is, that is what happened. <laughs> he, kills, he kills Gus, and I don't think this movie was on rails to begin with, but if it were, this would be the moment where it fully went off the rails for me. So the kids are out having a little, uh, you know, illicit Halloween party in the pet cemetery with, all, with the bullies. Inexplicably, they start to get along after a bit, and Gus comes... Everybody's screaming, you fucked the party up, you invited your dad. Of course he didn't invite his dad, the cop. What are you talking about? The dad's unhappy that his son is out late and and that his wife lied about it. And Zowie just takes a big bite out of Clancy Brown's jugular, and he's dead. What do the kids decide to do? They just, in my mind, they have it made. This asshole's out of the picture and they're not culpable because zombie or not, it's very clear that the dog killed him. Some For some reason, <laughs> the screenwriter decided that no, they should try and bring him back to life because they feel guilty about this happening as if they're responsible. And it just doesn't track on any level that you think about it. I mean, kids are dumb, and we know he's got to make it in the pet cemetery. So yeah, it, it it made sense to me. I don't know. I I didn't have that sense of it going off the rails at all. I mean, I was like, okay. I mean, I, I it obviously it's a dumb decision, but people make a million dumb decisions in horror movies. This ranks very low on the list of dumbest decisions I've seen in horror movies. I guess. Yeah, when your leads are children, you can get away with dumb decisions yeah. a lot more. I don't know like what a better motivation would have been for them to be like, you know what? We got to bring him back because this could come back to bite us in the ass because I could see no way that it could. And yeah, I agree. They're kids. 
Maybe that's what kids would realistically do, but nobody in this movie is behaving realistically. So I, like, I don't, I don't need that. It felt very lazy to me and it, you know, it's not like I was like fully into the experience to begin with. This is like pure camp from start to finish, but I thought that was kind of egregious and kind of a harbinger of narrative decisions to come henceforth. I mean, I mean, what what do you want? You know, do you want to not see Clancy Brown as a zombie? Yeah, I mean, we, then we wind up with Clancy Brown being a zombie and being a fucking hilariously entertaining villain for the rest of the movie. So you yeah. know, I I was fine with it. And and that's really kind of when the when the plot gets into gear. I, I mean, really I didn't enjoyed... I didn't come to this movie for fucking Shakespeare. I didn't come to this for fucking you know Get Out. Oh no! I obviously I didn't either. I'm just pointing out how dumb it is and how like like <laughs> yeah this this is what I came for. But also I'm more interested in like having heard about this movie for years. I'm more interested in like the why and the how. And it was fascinating to me to see. Like I don't know. I don't think there's any way. Well, somebody's gonna try soon, from what I've heard, or maybe it's in production. I don't see how you can make a good sequel to a a film that's based on a book without any involvement from the author with like so such loose connections to the source material to begin with. I just delighted in seeing like what terrible, stupid decisions they made. I, I, I don't know, Steven, but I mean, I'll tell you that it wasn't like it wasn't in the top five bad decisions I had seen in that movie to that point, to be honest. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> well, let's, let's run I mean, some of them down. Like, you know, the, the uh, Eddie Furlong bringing the cat to school. Oh yeah. Um, so dumb. But that know. doesn't, uh, I was going to say that doesn't move the plot forward, but it does. And that's the only reason he does it. And that's, right. this is the same thing. This right. scene is the same thing where it's like totally stupid, but like it's, it's a shortcut. Gus deciding to kill Zowie in the manner he does in the first place. Um, I mean, he already rigged the thing up. Like, so you've already had one electrical mishap with the with the actress dying in the first scene. Yeah. He already rigs the rabbit cage up to be like electrified to deter yeah. Zowie. Just just have it rhyme. Have Zowie get electrocuted by the rabbit cage, and he died because because Gus turned the the voltage up too high, and he did it on purpose. And he says it was an accident. He, he he said it to, to horse mode, and it was supposed to be on coyote <laughs> mode. And speaking of rhyming, electricity comes up throughout the rest of this movie. I mean, there's I, I don't think there's anything really going on there, like, subtextually, but I'd love it if somebody could find that kind of reading to place over this. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, there's always going to be, you know stupid stuff but yeah this this movie is just kind of wild and that's the way i was able to appreciate it oh totally Um, just from scene to scene you either see something that is um you know good or you see something that is like rarely you see a scene that is actually good maybe but then for the most part you're just seeing something weird you're seeing something crazy you're seeing something with a crazy music soundtrack um you're seeing something with amazing visuals um and it's just it is a is a, you said i think before we started recording it's a kaleidoscopic experience and yeah that's a great way to describe it at the movie yeah i would not at all call this movie bad i would also not call what? it good it's not a bad movie it Are is you? entertaining wow, it is Sorry. entertaining i was entertained throughout so something i really got to kick out of in this movie is that I mean, the major, I guess, conflict in this movie is, you know, Gus, the the bad sheriff, 
going to the pet cemetery and coming back and coming back sour and uh, not having seen the first Pet Cemetery movie, I'm sure there's you know in the book there's a story about a kid who got brought back from the Pet Cemetery and didn't turn out right. But I assume that it's depicted in the first Pet Cemetery movie in flashback. Maybe it's I don't, not. I don't believe so. I think it sticks mostly to the present, except for some intimate character stuff throughout with our okay. protagonists. Yeah. So this was really our first time seeing an adult come out of the pet cemetery and seeing what that kind of strange is like. And I thought that was very interesting and, uh, you know, pretty eerie where, you know, he's like, yeah, he can pass for Gus, but mm, this is not good at all. Oh yeah. Like he like wraps up his neck wound and then literally goes home to rape the mom. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got this, there's this whole dead alive thing going on with, like, the semeny goop going through his neck. Oh, yeah. It's, like, so clear that something's off, and it's hilarious to me that nobody except Drew seems to understand that this guy is, like, obviously, at the very least, unwell. Oh, or, like, the dinner table scene where, like, he's sitting there just, like, shoving handfuls of mashed potatoes in his mouth. And then he, like, throws the lima bean bowl on the floor and lima beans scatter all over the place. And the wife is just like, oh, Gus, will you stop? Like, no one realizes that he's acting weird. And then him and Eddie Furlong, whatever his character's name is, and Drew all just like break into this like laughing fit together and the boys seem to be like genuinely laughing with him, which really well, came they, out they of nowhere for me. They think they like him because you know this guy's been a hard ass all movie and now look, he's being silly, he's doing the kind of stuff kids do at the dinner table. Mm. Right. He, there's no rules anymore. It's just crazy lobotomized Gus doing, uh, you know, with with an evil inside him. Sure. Yeah. I, I, that was hard for me to read in the moment. I guess that makes sense, though. Yeah. Drew says a line like something like, oh, like he's great now. Like he's like what I wanted him to be because mm. <laughs> he's he's being more playful. He knows that like it's fucked up, but he's not getting like verbally and physically abused all the time anymore. So it's like, well, zombie dad's better than live dad. I guess I'll take it. Yeah. I also, you know, not having seen the first Pet Cemetery movie, I thought the depiction of the Indian burial ground was interesting, but like I didn't like it. And I assume it's the same way in the first movie. Almost identical, yeah. But man, that is not that that is not the impression I get from from reading the book. Like the cool thing to me about the concept of the pet cemetery is it's like a pretty uh you know, it's just kind of, it could be in anybody's backyard. It's just this like spot in the woods that the kids know to get to. And this is like, I don't know where you fucking go. You go to the woods and then you find yourself in like the high desert. It looks like the set of the November rain video, not to mention guns and roses twice in the same episode. Um, Oh, but they have to climb a fucking mountain. It's just like in the remake, like there's a whole route they have to take to get there. And I like that by the time you get there, you feel like you're in another world. Yeah. I, I don't like that. I like it just being a, it's a weird spot, but it's not like, you know, you can't see for miles. Um, I don't know. I like a little hang up. I have. So I haven't read the book obviously, but I do appreciate like what Patrick was saying that it does. I, I do appreciate like filmically the way that it makes you feel like you're going on this journey. Like how can this place possibly exist out here? Like it just doesn't even seem to fit the landscape. Like we're on the moon or something now. 
I thought yeah. that was kind of cool. We're in Why a dream don't they state. make the movie so it matches up with the vision I had in my head when I read the book? <laughs> well, and I mean, I again, I have not seen the first one, but I feel like Mary Lambert had to have like kind of set the template for that with the first one because the remake also has that feeling of climbing over the mountain and getting into this area that feels like again in a completely different world like when we were in the pet cemetery in pet cemetery 2 i felt like i was essentially in the same exact location that you go to in the pet cemetery remake which makes me think that all had to have been established and then completely but all had to have been established in the first film and then completely cribbed for the remake Maybe it is. I don't know. I have to go back to the book. Um, but I mean, my, my, I'm sure because it's in all these movies, I feel like maybe it is in the book, but I, my memory is that it's just kind of like, there's this timber pile in the woods. That's like, you can't cross unless you're got a, the idea to bury someone in the pet cemetery. And then you yeah. get over the wood and you're in this, like a creepier section of the world for sure. But not like, you know, it could still be in your backyard, or it could be in your neighbor's backyard. It could be anywhere. I'm pretty sure now I don't have a pet cemetery in my backyard because I would notice if there was this giant like UFO landing pad <laughs> out back. <laughs> well, that's I mean that's the trouble with adapting King, right? Like he he is a great stylist in his own sort of folksy way, and he he can like he could describe something in a sentence that could take. 10 minutes to show on film in a way like that seems even remotely believable. He's, he does a great job of getting inside the characters' heads and how they experience the places that they're inhabiting without exactly describing them in, mm-hmm. in this really kind of surreal way that I appreciate. There's, uh, there's some references to the first uh, movie slash book in this one, you know, some throwaway references to the Creed family. Some characters yeah. talk about kind of their, what happened there. I didn't find any of that too compelling, but you know, it's there for those of us who like good connective tissue between our sequels. Um, according to Wikipedia, uh, the original concept for this film from Mary Lambert was to have the movie focus on Ellie, right. who was the survivor of the, you know, the first, the little girl in, in the first pet cemetery. Um, and I guess they didn't think that was going to fly. So they were like, ah, let's, let's use Eddie Furlong. That movie made a lot of money. Um, uh, but well, and that's an interesting parallel to what happened with the remake where, you know, spoilers for the remake, skip ahead a couple of minutes if you haven't seen it or listen to us talk about it on the show before. But, you know, I thought it was kind of an interesting take to have Ellie be, the zombie and not gauge because it's a lot easier. There's a lot more you can do with like a 13 year old girl zombie than you can a five year old boy that can barely act or emote. Um, So I would have loved to see what she would have done with Ellie kind of surviving the events of the original narrative and, and what happens to her going forward. I think that could be really compelling stuff, but you can do a lot more with a maniac cop than you can do with a 13 year old girl. I guess they decided. Yeah, they must have talked to Larry Cohen about that. And well, you certainly can. <laughs> and you yeah. certainly can. I mean, that is where, like, if this movie wasn't bonkers enough to begin with, Tom Clancy as the maniac cop. Tom Clancy, Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown. <laughs> Tom Clancy's maniac cop. 
Someone you know should. how many times I've Googled Tom Clancy hoping to find information about Clancy Brown? <laughs> Someone should uh should should bury Tom Clancy in a pet cemetery, give it a comeback, <laughs> write write another bestseller. But it's like I was know, going to ask if he's still alive. I have no idea. I mean I I do now, I assume. No, no, he he died a while ago. He comes mm. back from the dead and he writes a writes a novel where like like uh, you know, Arabic people don't nuke America, and people are like, "There's something wrong with Tom Clancy." <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, wow, sometimes yeah. dead is better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, let's review it, uh, and we can get down to the spoiler room and and discuss further because this movie definitely gets a lot crazier almost immediately after the last events that we discussed. Um, Chris, why don't you go first? All right, I'm going to give it a cue it. Um, this is not a good movie, but it is batshit enough scene to scene that it, uh, for the most part, held my attention and could be a fun watch if, you know, especially if you're just kind of hanging out with people and you're not trying to put on high art. Um, you know, whether it's this kind of over-the-top electrocution scene in the first five minutes or just the weird choices like you know eddie furlong smuggling a kitten in his in his coat pocket to go to school to you know all the stuff that happens with the bullies and then eventually as we're going to talk about clancy brown as zombie sheriff just chewing the scenery being ridiculous doing crazy shit uh and it only gets more wild from there um there's some good special effects there's some really insane psychedelic visual sequences that i still don't know why they were in the movie um there's there's it, it's not a good movie but it's it's interesting enough to be worth your time and like i said i did honestly appreciate uh having not seen the first movie seeing some of these these pet cemetery things that I know that I know and love from the book and from the remake uh you know realized in a in a new way so I'll give it a cue it for those reasons Patrick I'll give it a cue it too I mean like I said already not bad but also not necessarily good entertaining zombie Clancy Brown was a blast um there there yeah there are enough interesting creative choices certainly to hold my attention and to entertain me so i don't know that's all i really have to say apologies to our listeners there's been a lot going on in my life and i'm functionally pretty pretty brain dead today so you know regular patrick will be back to his his regular you know levels of bullshit next episode never fear we're gonna take him out and we're gonna bury Bury me in the pet cemetery and he's he's gonna be back in two weeks good as new it'll work this time yeah i know i can feel it. i'll be skinning rabbits you know all kinds of shit will be going down steven what's your rating Oh, it's a cue it. I mean, it's a completely bonkers movie that shouldn't exist. It's just wild across the board, completely incompetently executed on every single level. And that makes it fun. That's the kind of movie I like to have a couple of beers with and hang out with my friends and watch and just just laugh at. I mean, even scenes that do kind of work, there's like clunky editing or like a weird costume or something. You know, there's like it, it, it never really... It's never smooth sailing, even for a minute or so at any given point. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Every once in a while, that's just what I need. That's the shot in the arm I'm looking for. All right. 
Well, I guess, uh, like we said, we'll go down to the spoiler room now. We'll tell you everything that happens. What does that maniac cop get up to in this movie? We'll explain it all. But first, you know, if you want to check us out online, you should do that. Go to everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. Uh, check us out there. Follow us on at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast, on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know, leave us a review. We love having reviews on our, our podcasts on, on uh, iTunes or, or any other podcast service. It helps the show a lot, and we like to know uh, that our fans are out there. And, you know, feel free to drop us a line on social media or email or what have you. And, you know, tell us what you thought about Pet Cemetery 2 or, you know, the Pet Cemetery franchise in general. We love to hear from our fans. Yeah. We sure do. <laughs> so let's climb on over that mountain and head on down to the spoiler cemetery. Yeah, the secret spoiler burial ground. That looks exactly like the forest we climbed through to get there, just just for Chris, because we know Chris likes that. Yes, great. All right, we will see you in a minute. All right, so we are here in the Spoiler Cemetery, ready to spoil everything about Pet Cemetery 2, a.k.a. Maniac Cop 4. <laughs> are there three Maniac Cops? There, there are three Maniac shit. Cops. I've are never they- seen the third. I think you have, though, Chris, right? I did, because because Joe Bob played one and two, and then Shudder often will have like whatever play streams after joe bob's show will like have a connection to what we just watched and they just played maniac cop three and i was just vibing at you know two thirty three in the morning so i just watched all of maniac cop maniac cop three i'd have done the same thing if i was still awake i mean those first two movies are such a treat i would totally ride that train out yeah yeah third one's not as good but it has some good moments um, remember when joe bob stopped by our booth at motor city nightmares <laughs> uh inside inside joke there, there was there was a there was a man in a cowboy hat and a bolo tie who was you know about the same age who was talking to us for a while and chris was behind the booth while the guy was talking to chris and me and steven were just trolling chris mercilessly yeah yeah so um here was the here was the delight for pet cemetery for me i uh i watched on my fancy apple tv that i have now and i didn't want to like scroll through netflix and the clumsy interface to find this movie so i used a little like talk to siri fucking button on the side of the apple remote and i searched i i I searched for pet cemetery and i said pet cemetery and the it knew to spell it the right way instead of actually saying cemetery amazing you know i (laughs) because of these movies and being aware of them as as a child i have almost never been able to type out the word cemetery without looking it up first (laughs) it's just like burned into my brain that there's an a in there where it shouldn't be and i can't fix it I've probably, I mean, I know I talk about Pet Cemetery way more than I talk about any other cemetery, so I'm surprised my phone just doesn't autocorrect normal cemetery to Pet Cemetery Cemetery. Well, well I mean, I, but I, it's spelled completely differently. I bet if I start to type S-E-M, I bet cemetery, as in the way Pet Cemetery is spelled, shows up in my autocorrect, but in all caps, because I would only put it Pet Cemetery in caps, because it's a movie title. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, my, my, my phone knows to correct it to what it should be for the movie. I'm talking about, the, like, a real cemetery. I can never... I have so much trouble with that word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, you know, Truman Capote couldn't say the alphabet, so I guess it's not that weird. <laughs> Just get cremated. Forget about the whole cemetery thing. Well, that's my plan. So, you know, maybe this is a little obvious conversation starter for the spoiler room, but we haven't done this before. I don't think we did when we saw the remake in theaters. Um, the Pet Cemetery experiment, the Pet Cemetery theorem. I mean, would you guys do it for a loved one, a pet? Is there any, well, maybe not no. for everybody, but there is there is there any creature, any person in your life that you would you would actually do this for? Bury them in the Indian burial ground and have them come back. How does well, here, go ahead? Sorry. Here's the thing: it's easy to sit on our ass and say no, but when you're in that situation, that's the whole theme of the of the franchise. Exactly. When you're in that situation, you, the grief takes control, and you do it. Um, here's what I'll say: I'll, I'll say that I had to make end of life decisions for my own father, right? And I made them as dispassionately as I could. Um. And I did not try to cling on to that when he was on life support. So, well, you know, friend of the show Toby died. Uh, you know, a few months into the uh, the pandemic last year, and I thought about this a lot because Pet Cemetery just lives in my mind. Um, it's just such a, a cultural, you know, kind of staple phenomenon. Um, and I like to think about dark things as I'm falling to sleep. And I've gone back and forth. Would I do it or wouldn't I do it? Because when I see the way Church comes back in in the films, you know, yeah, he's kind of, kind of a, a shit starter and he's kind of menacing, but Toby could kind of be like that sometimes too. <laughs> like, I'm not sure how different it would be. Um, I would say in my early stages of grief, for him, 100%. If it was a real pet cemetery and it was in my backyard, I would have given it a shot. Granted, this was heavy grief. There was a lot going on at the time. I mean, again, we were in the middle of a global pandemic. We still are, but it was uh, scarier and fresher then. Um, and I had some other personal tragedies, relatives dying around the same time. Um, I think at that point in my life, I might have done it. Yeah, but they don't just come back as shit starters. Like, they come back murderous and you know d- demonic essentially i don't know i mean i've i've lost a couple of pets who are very dear to me i don't know i i guess i really haven't lost any humans i was close enough to to even have this be a question but i just i don't know i, I think you know yeah dead i mean dead isn't better than alive obviously but dead is better than you know undead zombie pet cemetery being hmm well i think it matters i think it depends on the the demeanor of the animal or person that you're putting in the pet cemetery you know if you have someone who it's like all right how can this be defiled you know my cats that i have now are pretty sweet like i don't see them coming back the same from the pet cemetery if you have a cat who's a little bit more standoffish and acts like he wants to kill you more uh maybe you have less to lose by putting him in that pet cemetery um but you know the way i interpret the pet cemetery is that your thing is not coming back it is a dark demonic undead entity that is wearing this person like a costume 
and can 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 retain sort of like the black suit in Spider-Man kind of retains their memories uh but but it's it's not that person at all. Yes, Does yes, it yes, retain that, any that, sense of the just, personality? Like that's what I just clumsily tried to articulate with my Spider-Man analogy that which I didn't guess. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the the costume knows. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 got all that in there. It just has different motives. So um, you can you can play the bit, but like I mean, vividly, there's a part in the book at least where it's like, oh look, oh cute, the cat's back. Oh cute, the baby's back. And then there's a part where no, they kind of take the mask off, and they're both demons, and they're on the same page, and they're working together to kill people. Mm. You know. <laughs> Well, anyways, well, speaking of killing people, <laughs> Clancy Brown kills someone with a dirt bike, and it's like one of the greatest things I've seen this year so far. Well, I can say it now. Um, that scene is the reason I wanted to see this movie. My childhood best friend, Dan, who is still had in his short lifetime, probably saw more horror movies than I have to this day. And he was watching this kind of shit when he was 13 years old. Um, and thankfully introduced me to a lot of it. I remember him telling me, I, you know, I, I didn't know what the fuck Pet Cemetery was. I hadn't seen the first movie. And he told me about Edward Furlong's in, the, in Pet Cemetery 2. And there's this scene where a guy, like, rips up a kid's face with a dirt bike. I've been living with my own image of that in my head for 20 years at this point. And I just, once it popped up on Netflix, I just had to click. I had to see. And it didn't, obviously, it didn't quite live up to my imagination it wasn't as brutal as i expected but man what a fucking scene what a what a set piece you know beginning with the bicycle first as the bully is about to um uh scuff up is it drew or is it eddie i can't remember eddie it's eddie he's about to scuff up eddie's face with the bike and you're like oh that oh actually he's, he's he wants to take his nose off with the spokes i'm like oh that's pretty bad and actually that's a pretty good scene to begin with cuz that's when the the bully is chasing furlong on his furlong's on a bicycle the bullies on the dirt bike right and there's kind of a chase yeah. scene yeah there's a chase scene uh furlong gets you know uh thrown off the road off like down into a ravine the bully's gonna he, fuck he him finds up with the sarah bike. fear's grave <laughs> <laughs> and I then thought... inexplicably clancy brown just happens to be in the woods in that exact same spot in the middle of nowhere to show up and and get revenge i thought that was the chase scene was pretty competently staged for i don't know it, it felt complicated to me having two child actors one of them on a bicycle one of them yeah. on, on a dirt bike and i thought it was pretty well staged it it uh pretty effectively uh communicated the danger of the kid on the dirt dirt bike trying to run the kid on the bicycle off the road and i felt you know i felt some some concern for What's his name? What's our protagonist's name? We just Eddie keep... Furlong. <laughs> What's we established his name? that at the beginning. What's of the his up? name, though? Um, Je- uh, Jeff. Jeff. Jeff Matthews. Matthews. Jeff. Okay, yeah. But yeah, then oh my god, it's it's. I mean, like yeah, Clancy Brown just like picks up the dirt bike and like rams it into the 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 bully's face as he like revs the throttle. It's. Oh man, it's so extreme. I loved it. It is, but it 
in, in to Mary it's Lambert's gory, credit, though. it's not because it cuts away quickly. Like, yeah. you get a couple of brushes where you're like, ooh, this is going to be bad. It's getting really close to his face. And then when you hear it hit his face, it cuts away. Yeah. Um, so it could have been a lot more extreme. I don't know. I I have a sense that there's a, a gorier cut of this where that's played out. I, I'm not sure. But I did appreciate the, um, the restraint in that moment. There's plenty of gore in this movie, though. I was not dissatisfied with the goriness well do we want to talk about the rabbits and their fate i mean that was probably the most extreme thing in the whole movie i'm pretty sure the aspca was not on set for this movie because i think some rabbits were actually slaughtered i think the animals were harmed i mean that was that had to be real i Mm -hmm. mean just the um yeah just it was the the you could see the knife cutting through what seemed to be like very real sinew. Like, I don't know how you can fabricate something like that. Yeah. I mean, so we should explain it when Clancy Brown gets full into zombie cop mode, he decides to just slaughter his entire cage full of rabbits that he's been raising for the entire movie. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the one that has its neck snapped is clearly either a dummy rabbit or an already dead rabbit. But yeah, there's, See a whole lot of skin get pulled off what appear to be actual rabbits. Yep. And then Go and then they then they eat them the next <laughs> scene and honestly I was slightly grossed out but I was also like I want to eat some of that rabbit meat. Oh, rabbit's great. My dad hunts rabbits and you know in the fall we'll have like rabbit stew and I go down to see my family. It's delicious. Well, but I don't want to be there town. for I don't want to be there for the skinning or any of that though. I just want to eat the aftermath. Yeah. The fair is in town. Small animal auction is Saturday. You can go get a little pan of meat rabbits and, and fuck around and find out. But he just said he doesn't want to see this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the last thing I want to do. He wants um, to be disconnected from the process. Yeah, I've I've had it only once, but it was it was quite tasty, quite tender. Hmm. Um you know, this this uh it, it's there were some time capsule elements in this movie that I appreciate. Like, you know, in nineteen ninety two, like if there was a kid, like a school age kid who had an earring that was like that was bad fucking news. Right? <laughs> yeah, and so like oh, I lead, knew that kid. <laughs> the lead bully has an earring, so you know oh, right yeah. away that he's up to no good. Um, this is also he went like, to the piercing pagoda at the mall. <laughs> <laughs> like we were talking last time about you know all the profanity in, in the Fear Street trilogy, and you know you got kids talking like it's a Tarantino movie, but like the '90s were an era where you would see an R-rated movie with kids in it, and they would like. <laughs> A couple of them would say fuck and it would be like you could almost hear a record scratch <laughs> like it's like look what we just made this kid say isn't this incredible <laughs> um you get this you get that in here a couple times um well as opposed to you know another king well i, I shouldn't say another king adaptation this isn't one um it pretends to be but stand by me has a lot of profanity in it and i remember that yeah. being really pivotal to me as a kid thinking like you know, I was a, I was probably about the age of those kids, and it gave the movie a, a um, more of a weight to me because I didn't know that you were allowed to talk like that. You know, mm. and, and and it felt you know there's some kind of fifties slang in that that's a little bit goofy, but seeing kids like swearing and smoking cigarettes kind of blew my mind. And yeah. in this movie, it feels like 
anytime the kids do behave like actual kids, it's sort of a stunt. You know, it's like meant to shock you, whereas otherwise they act pretty docile. Well, and then they have their party in the woods, and these are like 14-year-old kids, if that, and like, you know, uh, Gus shows up, he's like, are you kids drinking? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's implied they're all drinking and smoking in the woods, even though they're all like 13. Yeah, and they're not. They're just like listening to the story of the fucking Pet Cemetery and the Wendigo and all that shit. No, they don't mention the Wendigo, do they? No. That was a big disappointment. I was hoping, because spoilers for the first film i don't even think it touches on the wendigo which i know is part of the novel right chris yes yes i was really hoping implied that implied wendigo anyway implied <laughs> and, and, and nothing better than an implied wendigo and i really thought this movie is so over the top and so doubling down on everything even thematically from the source material in the first movie i thought we're gonna get a we're gonna get a wendigo it's gonna happen doesn't happen very disappointed well disappointing i would make two changes to this movie to have it be more fun one would be (laughs) this is the dumbest shit i've ever said on this show but one would be they're they're having their party at night and the kids telling them the story of the pet cemetery he should have literally had the book pet cemetery (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) that's dumb but here's a good idea that's actually good you add a sheriff's deputy winston Gus has a yeah, you have a, you have Gus has a deputy who like tags along with Gus, and even when Gus goes nuts, the the quote unquote good cop just follows along and like goes with him up to a certain point when he eventually turns on and then gets killed. That'd be funny. Not, That'd be funny. Not yeah. quite my tempo, I, and neither of those has quite turned the All dial right, for well. me. I, 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 you know, Chris, I admire the attempt. I don't know how to fix this movie. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that would fix it. I just add more sauce on top of the. Oh, the I mean, saucy. that's that's all you could really do. Yeah, you can't yeah. fix it. You could add more sauce, but man, this thing gets so fucked up so quickly that I don't. I still don't even fully. Like, I know what happened. I just don't understand how it happened. <laughs> okay, yeah. you know what did turn the dial for me was when Clancy Brown basically forces uh drew and his mom to drive their car into a giant truck full of potatoes and they just get plastered by the potato truck there's an avalanche of potatoes like final destination wishes it could have come up with this as a bizarrely obscure way for people to die the jesus and mary chain song to which the lyrics are i want to die like jfk i think are the words uh, is blasting because we all know JFK died under a, JFK died under a pile of potatoes. Let's be yeah. clear about that. I mean, it could not have been more literal. I was screaming. This scene was wild. I loved it. It was insane. It was insane, and it just like kept doubling down and doubling down, seeing the avalanche of potatoes like cutting back to it over and over again, and then the bloody legs sticking out from the potato. <laughs> I think I was especially <laughs> shocked because I thought they were going to make it. I was like. We love Drew. Drew is Jeff's best friend. I thought maybe the mom wouldn't make it, but to see them both just get absolutely destroyed by this potato truck was shocking and hilarious in equal measure. I have, I'm, Chris, I know you were going to jump in with something, but I have a really serious question. Is Maine known for its potato production? Like, does Maine, do they grow potatoes up there? Is well, that a gotta, big deal? they got to get them bust in from somewhere if they don't grow them themselves. Um, but do they, they really they, come in like that? <laughs> I wonder how they like came up like with the, the idea. It came straight from the farm. Of, 
I don't think this movie was approved by the ASPCA nor the Idaho Potato Commission. I oh, I, I just well, wonder hold- how they even came up with potatoes. Like, where, where did that idea come from? Well, I just Googled Maine potato, and the first thing that came up is um, from, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this website, so I don't know if it's reputable, but the potato was northern Maine's primary agricultural product product and in the 1940s maine's potato production was top in the nation all right wow yeah there we go potatoes out the ass in maine i mean is it actually stated in the text of the movie that we're in maine Uh, i don't think so but the county it it takes place in ludlow which i was like oh that's maine i know enough about maine that i know where ludlow is even though it's like the middle of fucking nowhere i feel like that's probably just from reading a lot of stephen king Hmm. Um, but there were times where i questioned it and there was something in it that made me think it was set outside chicago at a certain point and i thought they can't do that the pet cemetery doesn't just move like it's not like the celestial entity that can just show up wherever it needs to this but i was patrick i was confused a couple of times too is what i'm saying talking about this is making me want to read some king it's been a little while and i just want i'm i'm having this really strong sense memory of reading different king books right now and i just i want to feel that way again so i think i'm going to read something of his soon you should read Pet Cemetery. I should. I'll, re- yeah. I'll read it too. And we can have a Patreon. Well, we can't say that, but we can have our own little book club on the side. You know what? We're going to have a Patreon book club. I think we can say that it's going to happen soon. Fuck. Where do we go from there? Because it gets really dreamlike and weird at a certain point, where like Edward Furlong suddenly becomes kind of a a, a minion of evil. He's like strangely possessed in a way that doesn't really make sense to me. I don't know about that. We get he's, some he's, dreamy stuff where, like, there's grass at the pet cemetery. There's that scene where, like, his mom's tombstone shows up there, and like, it seems to be played as if that's his actual experience with it. It's just a mess. Wait, Anthony, is Ed, Edward Furlong is a minion of evil. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, he becomes no, he, evil he gets, toward the end. He gets slightly moodier than he was before. But suddenly, but he's wearing a suit, like he's at the funeral, and he's at his dead mom's beck and call and it like just doesn't make any sense it's so strange anthony edwards like uh, has sex with a woman who transforms into a dog who oh well let's talk about that that. amazing that is some dog and the dog jumps out the window like dracula and he has he tries to shoot the it was crazy you know what i that scene was amazing because at first i was like okay male gaze much like here's just like a literal tit shot of him just grabbing her tit and then it pans up turns out it's just a good misdirect because there's a huge wolf head on the body of the woman he thinks he's having sex with and it's a well, great, that you know that great he, fake he, out great moment. yeah they I, I i'm that scene is so weird and i want to watch it again because it i don't know it feels rapey similarly not quite similarly but like close to the the zombie rape early in the film where it's just like this weird sex that we're not expecting and then there's the supernatural element tied on top of it and i don't know what actually happened in that scene like the dog got into his place and he had sex with something was it the dog and the dog made him think it was his wife, I, like, it's so strange. I don't, I don't know. Man. I uh, 
uh, again, I don't even know how to talk about it in a way that's remotely PC because it's not. It, it turns out it's it's been a day and it's been two days since I've seen this movie and I already didn't fully remember the details of the climax and at this point I just I, I feel like I'm literally losing my mind. So you tell me what happened. The mom comes back. The mom comes back. She does and is evil. Looking great looking great because yeah, they i and the whole thing where gus was talking about the prom and the homecoming and everything i think that's there to, to set up that once gus becomes an agent of evil he actually digs up you know he has motivation to dig up the wife and, and bring her back and so he actually you know takes the wife to the pet cemetery eddie furlong shows up at the pet, the pet cemetery they bury the wife the wife comes back and it's kind of from there it's pretty rote pet cemetery stuff they go to the house there's kind of a convergence of all the bad guys anthony edwards not anthony hopkins like i almost said uh kills gus the bully comes back from the dead because Gus buried the bully too. There's some action. There's some gore. People die. Uh, oh right, I didn't even recognize the bully when he came back from the dead. I was like, "Who is this?" Took me a minute too. For a minute, I was like, "Is this a character from the first movie?" <laughs> he looks like an I don't know. For some reason, he looked like an adult man to me. He did in yeah, a weird way. But did. then I was like, "Oh yeah, he got his face fucked up by the wheel. That makes sense." But it took me a couple of secs. Yeah, I mean, he has semen coming out of his eye. Yeah. Again, with the evil no. dead, dead alive, sort of weird semen instead of blood. Mm-hmm. I hope that means something, and I hope I figure it out someday, but it probably doesn't. But, you know, none of us very good. I guess lessons are learned, right? Because when the chips are down, Eddie Furlong decides, ah, nah, that's not my mom after all. Um, she can die. She can melt in a fire. And I'll go off and my dad and I will close down our shop and get out of town. But it's, you know, this isn't, this is more like, um, you know what movie I'm going to, you know what movie I'm going to be audacious and compare this to? I don't. Tell me. Mandy. (laughs) What? (laughs) This is a movie that's not plot forward. It's more like. It's expressionistic. Yeah, it's, it's expressionistic. But I would that say totally accidentally so. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> it makes perfect sense to me, but I don't feel like... I, 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 would, I would love to interview Mary Lambert and throw that term at her and have her just say, look, I didn't have any fucking control over this thing. This is just what happened. This is what they let me release. What if, like what if this is what she wanted to do? I mean, maybe, but we know that from the beginning, she didn't get to make the movie she wanted to make, right? Because she, like, when Pet Cemetery was a huge success, in spite of all the odds, she wanted to make a movie that focused on Ellie, and they didn't let her do it. So this just feels like, in so many ways, it feels like so many different studio heads meddling, trying to figure out what they needed in a movie that would make a successful follow-up. And that that final 20 minutes feels like they kind of all had their say in some way. Um, I don't know for sure, obviously. I would love to talk to her or find an interview or something. But it it doesn't feel like there's any one hand in control. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hey, maybe maybe uh, we can get a hold of her. I would love to try. And she's I've, I've seen interviews with her before. She seems like an awesome person. But I am pretty sure she she's been on record saying she's not happy with this film. Um, and I would love to know what what could have been. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it gets it gets real weird in that end scene. It gets kind of dreamy. 
We get stuff with... We didn't even go back to the, the maid. <laughs> like, just... She's she's told to, like, lay low for a while. So what does she do? She goes upstairs and just cosplays as the dead mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I think it was implied that she looks like the dead mom. Yes. Yeah. And so, again, that's kind of another subplot. There's kind of subplots on subplots in this movie. that And it's... Yeah, it does feel like, you know, six different visions of the movie kind of chopped up together. Um, and, and now you're swallowing it. I, I did watch this with a friend last night and he had this idea and I kind of see it too, that the female, all of the major female characters kind of have a similar look to them, like almost as if they're interchangeable as far as their physical features go. And I think there might actually be something to that. I mean, that was just him kind of explaining his dreamlike experience of seeing this movie. But I did think at the end, like, wow, she actually looks convincingly like the mom. And I, I just wonder, knowing that this was, you know, made by a, a female filmmaker and knowing that there's a lot of, like, abuse toward women in this movie, that maybe she there's some kind of commentary there that doesn't quite get through, but maybe in the, in, in the roots somewhere. I mean, it ends with a woman screaming, dead is better. Dead is better. Yeah, it couldn't so. be more on the nose than that. I mean, that that's it. That's your movie. I mean, it, it, it's, again, like, there's not... <laughs> it's fucked up. It's weird. It, it's hard to talk about. It is, it is difficult to, to talk about just because it's just so kind of disjointed. But at the end of the day, you know, you see some crazy shit. You see Clancy Brown killing kids. You see kids with earrings saying fuck. You see... <laughs> women melting oh what about uh, so an often off quoted line from this movie is um no brain no pain when clancy brown takes a drill to anthony edwards open wound on his shoulder is that off quoted i've never heard that <laughs> i mean in certain circles uh it's just such a like that that's a standout moment for me of like they're trying to also cash in it seems like on like the freddy franchise like oh he's got to have uh, he's got to have catchphrases gotta have one-liners yeah. yeah um i i did like the bully the reanimated bully getting electrocuted until his head explodes yeah which i wish the mom's head had exploded in the first scene that would have gotten my attention uh, <laughs> she got electrocuted with probably more volts than than the bully kid the yeah. drill to the shoulder yeah the drill to the shoulder was intense well the <laughs> the capper to all this is the final scene you know that so it's eddie and wait i'm trying to remember because wait okay is a fever does, dream. who edward survives Fur- at the end of this does edward furlong go by eddie why do we keep calling him eddie People call yeah. him Eddie. Yeah, he goes by Eddie, I guess. He did at the time, anyway. Oh, okay. I've, I've never who, heard Who that does he before. survive with at the end of the movie? Who gets away with him in the car? His dad. His dad, right. Okay, so his dad does Anthony live. Edwards. Yeah. They drive off. We get this kind of, like, it feels like a callback to The Shining with the helicopter shot of the car driving through the trees. And then we get these, like, little oh, yes. oval, <laughs> these little oval shots superimposed of the least, flatter, least flattering possible little clips of everyone who's died during the movie <laughs> that was amazing that was like american graffiti i wanted a little like text on the screen to like memorialize each of them <laughs> i totally forgot about that but yeah that was hilarious I that was, was amazing screaming what a choice again, like 
like just a stylistic touch that you you cannot make any sense of and you've never seen before and there's plenty of that uh in in, in pet cemetery it's too. so it, yeah it's singular i mean it's 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 an auteur effort it's you know it approaches brilliance and its strange choices sure you know uh Eddie Furlong was was cast for Terminator Two just at a YMCA. They they found a, they saw him at the YMCA and they like they liked his look and they said, "Hey, you ever think about acting?" Next and he was like, he was "No, but I can look good on camera." Basi- yeah, basically, <laughs> he's so. awful in this for the most part. So, well, yeah, I mean that's the thing because I was thinking about that. Like like his his performance in Terminator Two is good, but not super consistent. And then here it's it's very inconsistent. Um, I mean. I think he had talent, but yeah, he's not an actor and he's, he's doing the best he can, you know? Uh, so that, that's some important context. Yeah. Yeah. I think I thought, he was, I thought he was fine. He was fine. I mean, I, I did say earlier that I think the scene where he screams as his mother is being electrocuted is, I mean, I think that's maybe the most impactful piece of acting in the entire movie. I was, I was kind of like shook by that, especially in contrast to how, hilariously subdued the mother's performance was during that scene so, nah the know. best piece of acting in the movie is clancy brown shoving a whole spoon of mashed potatoes into his face best actor that's your clip right well there. okay last piece of trivia i have about this movie um so uh, Clancy Brown was not nominated for many awards for this film, perhaps only one, which was the Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Best Supporting Actor, <laughs> which which I found hilarious. I don't know I don't know what the competition was except for Anthony Hopkins in Bram Stoker's Dracula. He he took oh. away the Chainsaw Award that year, but I find it so interesting that those two were in competition with each other for something. <laughs> I love that well deserved nomination. My boy, Clancy. Hank. Hank. Hank from, uh, what's that game? Detroit Become Human. That's right. Yes, a a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Pet Cemetery 2. We're going to bury that and never think of it again. What are we watching next week, Chris? I think it's your turn to choose. It's the wheel's turn, isn't oh, it? Well, mm, oh, yeah, that makes sense, because... We had kind of a special episode that you chose. Okay. What's the wheel got for us? We are watching Pag Pag Nine Lives. What the fuck yes. is that? <laughs> Maybe Pog Pog Nine Lives. It's a Filipino film. Oh. Mm-hmm. After ignoring superstitions, okay. a group of teenagers find themselves in a fight for their lives when they are haunted and hunted by an evil spirit. Well, that doesn't sound unfamiliar. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen that movie before, but have we seen it from the Philippines? (laughs) We have not. All right. Well, all right. We'll be back. That's what we'll be doing. We'll be back in two weeks for Pog Pog Nine Lives. Am I getting Pog Pog Nine Lives? I I hope Pog Pog is a cat. (laughs) Jesus, me too. All right, well, it's been fun uh, for every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Steven. (laughs) I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. Bye. Bye.